care Sunday school, biblical soul care, and we finished up last week with our um, series on seven hopes of a heaven-bound saint, and now we're moving to faith, and we're going to talk about what role a faith plays in a Christian's life, and, and what really what is faith. Um, so, I, in kind of getting ready for this, I just thought through in our culture all the different ways that faith is used and referenced uh, just in common culture, maybe around people you work with, what, uh, there's even a song that I was, I was just kind of looked up some songs and about that have faith in them, and most of them say absolutely nothing, but when they talk about this, this phrase, you just got to have faith, and so what do people mean by that when they say that, when you hear that, what do you think they mean? Optimism. Optimism. Yeah. He's like, just gotta be hopeful about something. Have faith. Be good thoughts. Like believe. You just gotta believe. It's positive. not believing in something. It's yeah. just having good thoughts towards something. Just believe. You know, be be positive. Yeah. Name it and claim it. Okay. Name it and claim it, or as Brad Bigney says, blab it and grab it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe letting go, of worrying about things. <clears throat> Letting whatever happens happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going through something, you just got to keep on keeping on. Yeah. Persevere. Persevere. Have faith. Just keep keep going. Yeah. You can do it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, like a self motivating, I can handle this. Rally cry. As long as I have faith. Mm -hmm. I've even heard, I don't remember where this was, I don't know if it was on, in the, on the radio or something, but you have to have faith in faith. I'm like, what does that mean? Right. Have faith in faith. So I'm hearing this good energy, sending good energy your way. Positive vibes. Like mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I just believe that by thinking, yeah, that's that's kind of the new, like, yeah. acceptable way to, uh, rather than saying I'll be praying for you, like thoughts and prayers for the person. You're like, send good vibes to him. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What, what do people say about blind faith? I hear that a lot. What is blind faith? Belief of faith. They say belief of faith a lot of times. What are they telling you when they're talking about blind faith or taking a leap of faith? What's, the, what's kind of inferred by, by, their, by those comments? Trust that it's all going to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> when I think, when I hear blind faith, a lot of times it's it's kind of a, a knock against religion in general, but Christianity in particular is like you're just you're just one of those Christians, and it's you don't you don't trust science. You're just doing that on blind faith. This is kind of dismissive. You know, you have no evidence. There's nothing behind what you're doing. You just choose because you're a you know a bigot or a science denier or you're a whatever. And so you are, that's just blind faith. It's kind of a way to dismiss um, obedience to Scripture. So how do you think they would define faith? So I guess we've kind of been talking about it. it they would say it's kind of this, in, in a positive, in their positive way, it's just believing in yourself, 
believing that some, it's going to work out for good somehow. You know, keep going even when it's hard. Even in hard circumstances, you can be positive because you have faith in something. What are they placing their faith in? <clears throat> Themselves. Themselves. Mm-hmm. It's something that they can visualize and physically take hold of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a, that's a faith by sight, right? Or experience. Faith by any of the... Uh, senses, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah, all of them. You know, anything that's verifiable yeah. to them. So you have faith in science, faith in education. I think sometimes that's a big one. Faith in politics. Faith in politics. In a way, faith in their gods. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of faith in humanity? Mm-hmm. I've heard that kind of on social media sometimes. I'll, I'll see, so, oh, this restored my faith in humanity. Like, should not be a thing. <laughs> so there is just kind of this airy, kind of fluffy, just faith. That we, it'll all work out. We can do it. But that is not how the Bible, of course, speaks of faith. None of those things are what we are called to do, just believe in ourselves, to just kind of hope that it works out and just trust that, you know, good things are going to happen. <clears throat> okay. So our objective today is I want to do our best to define biblical faith and consider its effects on us and how it should affect us in our daily lives. Now let's look at this, this definition from One Bible Dictionary. It says, it's the persuasion of the mind that a certain statement is true. It's pretty... Pretty generic, right? So a, a persuasion of the mind that a certain statement is true. And, and I guess one of, the, one of the things that I really want to hopefully hammer today is we have, even in Christian circles, so if we, if we can just go into, that was kind of our cultural discussion. I mean, we should discuss this for just a moment. What about in kind of some Christian, professing Christians, we're talking about people in the American church maybe, where, what are some ways, if there are any different ways that we talk about faith, maybe not in Flint Hills Bible Church, but in just Christians in general. Someone has mentioned um, the word of faith. Nancy, I think you talked about um, they just speak it into existence as kind of this whole stream of Christianity. What, what are other ways that maybe in, in Christian circles that they talk about faith? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the Bible will refer to the gospel or the Christian faith as that's you know you hold to the doctrines of the faith. Yeah, you defend the faith. Mm-hmm. So that's in that sense, it's a collection of the biblical teachings, right? Any other ways? I've <coughs> just believe, mm-hmm. which seems to lack some. Uh, Evidence or right. it many times it, it's just connecting to what I think and it doesn't connect to how I live or how I 
speak to people, or how I work, or how I pray, or how I study scripture. There is, the faith is just this purely intellectual thing that can be completely disconnected from my life, Monday through Saturday. And, and that's where I, I think the bulk, the vast majority of um, the American church, in air quotes, uh, is. Faith is something as long as I have prayed a prayer, or I have attended church, or I have said the right things, or on the other side, I've not gone to these other places. I don't go to the bars, I don't go to the parties. I don't say cuss words. I don't do all of these other things. I'm a Christian. I have faith. But that that kind of faith is nowhere in Scripture. And I think that's that's kind of a, a wake up call for as I was studying this. There's a, when we look at them, time after time after time, instance after instance, we have faith being demonstrated by the life, by the actions and the words. So, we're going to look at that a little bit. So, faith in the Greek, there's that word, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's used many times throughout Scripture, along with its verb form, believe. So, those two words are going to be interchangeable. We'll see that in, um, particularly in Romans 4. We'll take a look at that. But those words are basically interchangeable. Paul uses those, um, bounces through, back and forth between the two. And we're going to ask some basic questions about faith to deepen our understanding and appreciation of Christian faith. So, faith in the Old Testament first, and um, there are so many places we could go, and your, your favorite is probably not in here, but let's look at just a couple of them. Look at Genesis chapter 32. Okay. Jacob is returning to his home from... Uh, years of serving Laban, and he's getting close to, to home, and he's starting to worry about uh, his brother Esau, because the last time we saw him, he was running for his life, so to speak, because he had tricked him out of his blessing as his father was nearing his death. So, verse 10, we read this, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love, and all of the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So who is demonstrating faithfulness? That's Jacob. Jacob, yeah. Jacob, in a sense, yeah. Who's, who, would, who's the first one that was talked about in verse 10? God. God, yeah. So, so Jacob's telling him, first of all, I'm unworthy, and you have... I don't deserve all any of the steadfast love, any of the love that you've given or the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant because 
Yeah, Jacob has messed up some things, right? He's, he's the deceiver for a reason, tricking his brother out of things. So he was taken into his own hand. He does not always do perfectly what God has revealed. But God has been faithful to him. So, page two, what is Jacob's temptation in verse 11? Fear of man. Yeah. yeah. Fear. He's afraid. And for good reason. Remember, his, the reason he left was because his brother was comforting himself by saying, once my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. So, there's, there's a reason for some fear. But he is... His temptation is to be fearful. How does he respond in verse 12? He reminds himself of the promise of God. Yeah. His faith is not in, oh, it'll all work out because I'll be able to smooth talk. No, he, he reminds himself that God promised him he said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as a saint of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So there is an exercise of faith there. And we'll get to it here in a little bit as well as we continue in the Old Testament. There, but in, for the Israelite, faith was not like this intellectual thing. It was a, a lot of it was bound up in the covenant. So you were faithful to the covenant that you made. So if you were a faithful man or woman, you did what you said you would do. And God, time and time again, demonstrates faithfulness to Israel, even though they're, time and time again, not faithful to him. Let's look at the example of Abraham. Let's go back to uh, Genesis 15. verse 5 and he brought him outside and said look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them then he said to him so shall your offspring be and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness this is just one example of how um Abraham believing the Lord. What, how else has he done before this moment in his life? How has he believed in the Lord, the promise of God? Well, first he left his home country because God said, get up and go. Yeah. And so he followed God in that. And he was a pagan before. <clears throat> yeah. God started working on <clears throat> Yeah, so in the sense of uh, God comes and tells him, hey, leave your, hand, leave your home, leave your family, and go to a place that I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to tell you right now, but just start moving, and I'll tell you when to stop. Like that kind of uprooting his family. <clears throat> and Abraham believed him, and how was it demonstrated? He did it. He obeyed. So Abraham's believing is not just a, oh, well, God definitely spoke to me. 
and I believe it, but I'm still going to stay here because that's a little too scary, but God understands, and he's gonna, it's going to be okay. No, Abraham's faith was followed up with, and it was, you can't separate it from his obedience to God. So when God says, you're going to have offspring, and look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believes him. <clears throat> so, Abraham's faith is more than just factual knowledge or <clears throat> mental assent. I'll turn real quick to Romans chapter 4. And I'll just read to you. Well, we're going to revisit this again. But, <clears throat> Paul gives a quick rundown. He says, In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So, Abraham did not just talk the talk. He did it. He obeyed God. He trusted God without wavering. <clears throat> so, let's look at Second Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat, who is a good king, he's one of the good ones, but there is a, a huge army that's coming up against him, and we're actually going to, let's go ahead and start uh, in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, oh by the way, after this is, Jehoshaphat was already obeying and, and leading Israel to a more faithful following of the Lord. And after this is when this bad thing happens. The Moabites and Ammonites, and with them came some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came to, and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. <laughs> <laughs> then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the, uh, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our, of our fathers, are you not God of heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you, in it, a sanctuary for your name. If disaster comes upon us, the sword 
judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you uh, in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now skip down to verse 20. Oh, let's go to, actually, um, 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite, and the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. So here's, here's a prophet. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in the holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing, and praise. The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. And the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So God wins that battle for them. It's interesting that Jehoshaphat if they would have just said, oh, hey, just believe in the Lord, he'll just do it. We don't actually have to do anything. I mean, I know, sure, God said some things, but but we just believe. If believe is meaning what many in our current culture, even in Christian circles, if belief just means to mentally agree with something, then they wouldn't have gone out. But God says, hey, I'm going to fight this battle. That's all. Hey, if many of us would say, okay, well, awesome. I'm just going to relax, stay at home. But God told Israel, go out, stand your ground, stand firm, and watch the salvation that I'm going to bring for you. And so they still had to, to follow up. They still had to obey the Lord, and they worship the Lord all the while. They're marching out, and the Lord wins the battle. Psalm 25.10 it says, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. 
The idea of faithfulness is very common in the Old Testament and adds an element of faithful loyalty to our biblical understanding of faith. One commentator says, Faith in the Old Testament is less about ideas and more about the integrity of a relationship. So how does that clash with the cultural understanding of faith? The culture takes God out of the picture so mm -hmm. they don't understand mm -hmm. the covenant there that you're placing your faith in. Yeah. Culturally, it's just like, hey, faith is just have good feelings about things. And even in Christian circles, if I just I have faith, I say that I agree. Oh yeah, God did some cool things back there, but it has no bearing on my life. But this understanding for that would have been foreign to Israel. Their faith, their trust in God, meant that there was this uh, agreement that I will I will be faithful to you, God, with how I speak and act and worship. All of those things were tied up into the covenant that God had with Israel. A faithful loyalty. So trust and faithfulness of Israel was to be centered on Yahweh. He was the one who created them, called them, defended them, blessed them, and disciplined them. God is worthy of trust and obedience. And so when Israel put their faith in Yahweh, they were blessed. When they placed their hope in other kings armies, wealth, etc., God punished them and they were not fulfilling because they were not fulfilling the covenant that they were sworn to uphold. They were being faithless. So, faith in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Christian faith becomes more specific and particular. We are commanded by the biblical authors to place our faith in Jesus Christ, his life, death, his teaching. Here, we will ask some basic questions about the nature of Christian faith, also called saving faith. So according to the following verses, how do we get saving faith? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, very common. You could probably quote them to me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. According to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, how do we get saving faith? It's a gift. It is, it is a gift. It's a gift from God. What is the evidence of saving faith? Walking in His ways. Walking in His ways. And particularly, verse 10 says... Whereas workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. That follows faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I'll go a couple of verses earlier in Romans 10 to make this point a little bit more clear. Verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What must happen before someone can have saving faith? hear the word of Christ. They have to hear the word. Someone has to teach them. So, we have it's necessary, faith is a gift from God given to us by grace and it comes the way that he has decided in his sovereignty to give saving faith to his people is he sends his word. He reveals his word, and preachers go and they preach it. Mark 1, 15. We're looking here at the object of saving faith. Where, where, does, where does saving faith rest? And Jesus said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is at the beginning of his ministry in Mark. The verse preceding that says that John was arrested and then Jesus went out and he started preaching. And he said, repent and believe in the gospel. Look at John 5, 39. It's right there in your notes. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So according to the Pharisee, if you were to talk with one of these Pharisees and ask them, Hey, what is the object of your faith? What would they say? The law. The law. Put their faith in the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the law, uh, and specifically here, the, the scriptures, that was their law. They would, they would put their hope in the law. That's what they said. There's another option. Moses? Yeah, they said that you, you put your hope in Moses. That's kind of interesting because Jesus goes on to say a few things. So the next question is, I must have changed the question because I wasn't expecting that one. Do the Pharisees believe the scriptures? Or, maybe let me ask this question. What would Jesus say their hope or their faith was centered on? I think strictly on their intellectual knowledge, their superiority over everyone else because of their knowledge of the scriptures. But loving them. Yeah, so they, they were putting faith in their, in their intellect, and their knowledge and their heritage 
Their heritage. The first okay. sons of Abraham. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So were they actually putting their faith in the writings of Moses? If they had, they would have recognized Jesus. Right. So their claim is, hey, we, we love Moses. We're listening to Moses. We don't listen to you, Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying, if you did, he was talking about me. So really their, their faith wasn't even centered on Moses. It wasn't really centered on the law because the scriptures bear witness about me, Jesus said. Yet you refuse to come to me. What's really motivating them? What are they doing with their life? With all of their mind, what are they, what are they after? It's in verse uh, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. So yeah, it was their heritage. And it was things that they, they loved the law. They loved reading about it and knowing things about it. But when, when you get down to it, their faith and their hope was all centered on getting glory from people because they all saw how godly and how holy they were. So did the Pharisees believe the scriptures? Maybe in a sense they did. Intellectually, maybe. And they, they practically did try to follow some of these things. And they even made extra rules. Well, by making extra rules, they put more pressure to believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. They put more pressure to trust in themselves. Yeah, and all, and all that pressure was on things that they could achieve think of the um, when Jesus talks to he's talking to the Pharisees he says you're, you're tithing like your dill and your cumin like, like that, that's all good but you, you're neglecting the bigger focus of the law the weightier issues mercy <clears throat> reminds me of the scripture pride cometh before destruction and mm -hmm. a haughty spirit before a fall and they were so prideful mm -hmm. well because they had faith they, they had this commitment to doing certain things, but, but Jesus saw it through their heart, and he diagnosed it. They were after the glory that comes from men. John 6, 28-29. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Was the object of our faith there. Where is our faith to rest? In Jesus. In Jesus. Let's transition to the epistle. Hey, we might get through some. I don't know. We still got some time. I'm moving. <laughs> Now let's look at the epistles. So now we want to glean some more information about saving faith by reading some of the most well-known faith passages in the New Testament. James 2, this is a common one and kind of is a, is a source of some controversy. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? <coughs> so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what kind of faith do we see here? You see a faith that acts in obedience? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a contrast. James is, is making a contrast between two types of faith. There's a faith that acts. And there's a faith that seems to be kind of the predominant faith today is I say things. I see somebody who has a need. It's like, hey, I hope that somebody meets that need for you. And then I go about my way and there's no acting. So there's a dead faith and a living or a saving faith. That, that alone would be somewhat mm-hmm. controversial if we say that to a lot of even professing Christians. Hey, there's a type of faith that does not save you. You can say Jesus and God, and you can say that you pray and you go to church, and your faith may be dead. And you could find yourself like the, the people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 21. Saying to him, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and that and the other thing? In your name. And they're deceived. They had a faith that was not saving faith. They acknowledged Jesus as Lord. But they were actually workers of lawlessness. Continuing in James 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. (coughs) Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and his faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. (coughs) And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, how does James describe the demon's faith? They just believe. Yeah, they believe. So they, they have this kind of understanding, right? God is one. So the demons believe. And obviously, they're not saved, right? It's not a saving faith. It's not a belief that saves <clears throat> what about Abraham's faith? Demonstrated by works. It's demonstrated by works. So he did not just say, yeah, I believe in God. He went and obeyed God when God said, hey, 
you take your son, your only son, the son who you love, and you're going to sacrifice him. And Abraham did that. He demonstrated his faith by his works. What about Rahab? When she received the messengers and sent them out another way, protected them, hid them, she demonstrated that she had faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, and not in her old cultural gods. And at great risk of herself. If, that, if they would have been found out, what would have happened to Rahab? Probably would have been executed. So there is a, a demonstration of saving faith. When you have saving faith as a gift from God, as a result of being hearing the gospel, hearing the promises of the character of God, in the case of those Old Testament saints, and you is always followed with a lifestyle that is consistent and faithful to what God says. It's obedient. Now, let's look at Hebrews 11. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 1. Really, the whole chapter is known as the faith chapter, sometimes the hall of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That question there. So faith is defined here as assurance and conviction. What meaning does that add to our understanding of saving faith? We put our faith in the promise of God, so it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. We put our faith in the assurance of eternal life through Christ uh, that was promised by God to be reconciled to Him. Mm -hmm. That's a promise. It's, that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. If you Now, I could say that. What is a conviction? Conviction. Anytime we talk this with our youth, anytime we learn this, we go through Scripture, we learn something, uh, it should convict us in a way that um, moves us. Mm -hmm. It's like we apply force to something, it should move. When we are convicted uh, of something, it should move us, it should push us to an action. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, we truly don't have a conviction. Right. A self-evident truth that's impossible to deny. You get hit with it. Right. So yeah, you can, you can have uh, many things that are... Um, true and self-evident when we talk about conviction a, a conviction is something that that you are so convinced of it is such a deeply held idea a deeply held view that it determines choices that you make 
If I have the conviction that Jesus Christ died for my sins and set me free from my sins so that I can live righteously. That's my conviction. I live that way. I strive to please Him. Not so that I can earn anything, not so that I can just be godly and get the praise of men, but because I love Him. It's my conviction that He is gracious and He has extended grace to me that I do not deserve. If that's a conviction, that's something that I prove with my life. So faith is the conviction of things not seen, is the assurance of things hoped for. Both of those things are a, those are visible things based on our conviction, our deep persuasion that the Bible is true, that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Savior. He is the one and only one uh, Savior who can deal with my sins and adopt make way for my adoption into God's family. If that's a conviction, it does have a, an impact on my life. It must be there. So let's look at just a few verses after 11.1. We're going to look at, answer the question, how does this faith look in these Old Testament believers? We'll just start with verse uh, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So faith's, uh, or Abel's faith worked obedience in his life. He gave the right sacrifice in the way that God required. Cain did not. Cain, did he believe in God? Yeah, he, he brought a sacrifice, but his faith did not work in him obedience out of a desire to love and please the Lord just to do what he said. He brought his own, he wanted to do it himself. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever believes, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So all in time after time after time, spending time in this chapter thinking about how these saints believed God and did what he asked them to do. He commanded them to do, I should say. Out of obedience, out of reverence for him. And I really struggled with this last one. Romans 3, 19. I wanted to just read like the whole book of Romans about. <laughs> so uh, we're, I'll, I'll jump around just a little bit, but I will do a, a bit of reading because the faith is all throughout here. Mm-hmm. 
But look at what saving faith grants to believers, what is afforded to us through faith, as Paul writes here. 319. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped the whole, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So that's, he's wrapping up Everybody's guilty. Everybody deserves the wrath of God. We're all in trouble. But now, the righteousness of God, verse 21, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God through faith. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, by whom sorry, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness. Let's pause there. Verse 25, What does faith grant us so far? So, yeah, God had passed over former sins and until that day when Jesus was there and then he punished sin of all his people on that moment. Verse 25 says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The propitiation, uh, many of you know that's, that's the, the big fancy word that means it's, it's a sacrifice that satisfies wrath. God's wrath is just because we rebelled and sinned against him. And Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. God's wrath poured out on this sacrifice. And now his wrath toward me is gone. How do I receive that state? By faith. We receive propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. <clears throat> faith in Jesus justifies us. So what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We'll just pause real quick, briefly. Because we just read in James, right? James said that um, you're justified by faith and works. Now, we have to draw a distinction here. Paul's making a very particular point here. He's talking about this very... Um, he's talking about justification, and in, in he's using a lot of legal language, and he's saying... You cannot earn your perfect record. You cannot earn justification by God by doing the works of the law. That's this whole thing from verse 19. By the works of the law, no human will be justified, declared righteous before God. And so he's, he's talking to a bunch of people who were tempted toward working through the law, these Jews who wanted to do the law so that they can earn God's favor and be good with God that way. That does not work. So Paul's making that point to them. 
James is making a point to some Christians who are uh, maybe more like American Christians and kind of, we're kind of tend to be a little bit lazy. We want to just, we say, I'll say the right things and I'll do some right things and that, I'm sure God will be okay with me. No, that faith does not save you. So in, in Romans, you are not declared righteous because you've worked for it. You're declared righteous by faith because Christ, His righteousness is given to you in that perfect, and His perfect righteousness is given to you by faith. And you put your faith in Christ. And James is like, these people have said, yeah, we, we believe we're, we're Christians, we put our faith in Jesus, but we actually don't do anything about it. He's like, well, James is saying, that that's, that's not how faith works. If you have faith that justifies you, it will be demonstrated in your life. So if you don't have the demonstration part of if your life is not changed, your faith is a dead faith. It's not a living faith. It's not a saving faith. So we are just about out of time. Any, any comments or questions as we wrap up to, here today? I really encourage you to keep going through Romans, even into Romans 5, 1. That's one of the, the last um, points I wanted to make. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Only way you can have peace with God is by faith. Being justified by faith. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's, it, he continues. Um, but so, let me just read this, that summary there. Faith is the foundation of our union with Christ. It is the knowledge of God and his gospel acted out in life. There is much about faith that would benefit us from further study and meditation. By God's grace, let us consider all of the richness of faith as we study scripture and apply it to our lives. Let, us, let our faith drive us to act in accordance with God's word for his glory. Thank you, everybody.